welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Did you want me to put the mustache rack on and we can just start over? Yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe you were like waxing or something. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. I've been screwing with my Zoom settings to mess with Arlene. So when she came into the meeting, I had a huge bushy mustache. And I was just telling her that the other day I was messing with it before a work meeting and then couldn't get it to turn off. And I was really afraid I was just going to have to like shut my video down for my entire work meeting or admit to my boss that I had given myself a huge mustache and couldn't get rid of it. <laughs> like that, what that lawyer who turned himself into a cat on Zoom and then got stuck that way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, That was you know. adorable. The mustache was just kind of... <laughs> It was yeah. subtle enough that I wasn't sure what was going on, <laughs> depending on the size of the uh, just like my normal the picture. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> How have you Welcome to here? Barnyard Language. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks uh, for joining us again today. So, Katie, other than growing a mustache since the last time I saw you, what's going on on the farm? It's been a long couple days, Arlene. Don't judge me. Um, lambing, and it snowed last night which i was not anticipating but it's one of those snows where it is like just at freezing so probably by this afternoon it'll just be muddy as hell again other than that lambs lambs, lambs 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 and lambs that's eo trying to think if there was anything else is really really not anyway things have been good we're adjusting to time again. I've been having to wake people up for school because we're still uh, in a different time zone. I mean, plus the time change. So, I mean, everybody's messed up, of course. When we recorded last time, we were still on vacation. So I have a few more vacation reflections to share with you. One of which was we said multiple times how much it would have been different if it was still in the time where hotels were basically your only option. We stayed, stayed in Airbnbs. And it was so nice to be able to, at the end of you know, doing an activity or something, be able to come back to the house and spread out. And if the kids didn't want to be together, they could go to separate rooms or separate spaces. And there was a place to do laundry. So we weren't packing dirty clothes back into our suitcases. So that was really nice. I really like Airbnbs. So that was very fun. And the other thing I was wanting to tell you about was the, the day after we recorded, we stopped at a farm, a dairy farm near Edmonton. So they're friends of my parents. I'd met them a couple of times. So they just built a new barn last year and had just moved in in January. So my parents had said, are you going to go in and visit? And I said, no, no, I don't think we'll bother them. And then the time came and it was like, you know, we hadn't seen cows in a week and thought, well, maybe we'll stop in. So we got in touch a couple of days before and let them know we were going to stop by. So we thought we'd go for a, you know, half hour visit, see the cows. <laughs> Check out uh -huh. the robots, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we were there for two hours. They fed us lunch and I was dragging my husband out. I was like, okay, these kids need to go. <laughs> these people might need to do some chores today. But yeah, we just, you know, got into farm talk, right? So it was 
it was nice to be able to visit them, which was so thank you to Deb and Tim for hosting us at your farm too. And another thing that's happening on the farm here these days is we're going to get some new neighbors soon. Not sure how many have seen the, the subdivision design, but they're about, I want to say 10 years ago, or maybe even more, there were plans and we knew that they would come eventually. There was property just across the road from where my in-laws live, who are across the road from us and right next door to one of our fields, there was plans for a subdivision drawn up and then, you know, for years, nothing happened and it's grown up in trees. But this last month, the, the trees have all disappeared and they're clearing out and putting in roads. So we're going to get a bunch of new neighbors. We have a new view. So hopefully they're all okay with the farm smells a few times a year. They're going to be bigger lots, like everyone will be on their own well and septic and everything, but we're going to have it'll be a different vibe around the farm, I guess, because we're going to get people that much, that much closer. So it's always an adventure. I know there's three houses on our farm and through some generational rearrangement, one of the houses was put up for sale. And in our, our cattle pasture comes right up to the back line of the lot that that house is on. And some folks came to see it and they seemed nice enough, but the woman wanted us to move our cattle pasture because the cows were looking at her. <laughs> I was like, ma'am, that's, you don't want to live here. Everybody in the neighborhood has cows. You're not going to like it. They've all got eyes. Yeah. all of them, <laughs> They all might look at you. All of them have eyes. And I just, you know, if you're that weirded out by them looking at you, how are you going to feel about the smell and the noise? I, mean, I feel yeah. like the, the staring is kind of the least offensive thing they do. Wow, that is an so, interesting, interesting complaint. I mean, I get, you know, the deck on that house looks out over the cattle pasture, which was an intentional choice when it was built. So, I mean, I get maybe she didn't want to like privacy screen herself from the cows. but <laughs> Yeah, but they're not judging her. No. Yeah. She'd be it fine. got sold to Jim's cousin instead, which has worked out very nicely. More accepting of cows being looked at, having eyebrows, eyeballs, <laughs> and eyebrows yeah. for that matter. Yeah, yeah, both of those things. Oh. oh, and the other thing that's happening today is the there's a judge coming to the farm. Our Holstein Club does they call it the Breeders' Cup, so it's a cow show, but instead of the cows going to a show, the judge comes to the farms. So the judge will be driving around our county today going to any of the farms who chose to participate i think there's two classes and so they'll the judge will look at all the cows in those classes and then at the end of the day place them so it's kind of a neat way for people who maybe don't normally show to don't take cows out to shows to participate and still kind of have their have that part of showing without without some other work. And then anyone who does attend shows on a you know regular basis, they can't enter anything that they've brought to the fair before or to the county show or whatever. So it could also give, you know, maybe those cows that you can't train or don't want to train, but look nice, it gives them a chance too. So I don't think Saturn has entered. She tried to headbutt me again this morning just to make oh, sure I was on my you. toes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did miss me. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, yeah, she got close. 
Yeah. So where did you end up hanging that portrait of her, Arlene? Is it in your office or is it? Like... It is in the new office. Yeah. Very, very fancy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. She looks lovely. I, uh, your mention of visiting your parents' friends sounds a lot like when Jim last summer said that we were going to stop by Mike and Dana Seifert's farm for just a minute on our way to a tractor show. And I don't know, somewhere around four hours later, Mike's mother was serving us supper, which was lovely. Yeah. They're delightful folks. And even I should have realized what was going to happen. I've I've lived in the Midwest my whole life, pretty much. I should have. I know better than to ever think it's going to be a half hour stop somewhere, um, <laughs> yeah. especially around a meal time, which it was not a meal time when we got there. Yeah, when you, yeah, it when you stopped. When <laughs> yeah. I was even trying to be strategic about when we stopped for the same reason, right? That I wasn't assuming that anyone was going to feed us, but yeah, it all worked out. I've been told nice to since then that there is no telling Mike's mom that she's not going to feed you. Mm -hmm. um, it is just not something that is done. So yeah, I grew up with a lot of folks like that too. I understand it, I, you know, so our, I'm really excited for today's episode. Not that I'm not normally excited, but well, all I'm, of our guests are fantastic. But, all of our yeah. guests are fantastic, but this one was a real fangirl moment because today we are talking to Courtney Wyckoff of Mama Strong and Papa Strong and Kiddo Strong, but I think maybe that's ended now that the pandemic has eased up some. They were also offering programming for children, which is amazing. Nice. Yeah. All right, let's head into our interview. All right, so welcome back, everybody. Today, I'm fangirling super hard to be talking to Courtney Wyckoff, who's the founder and fearless leader of Mama Strong. Courtney is a retired professional dancer, certified personal trainer and corrective exercise specialist, and recovering survival junkie. Mama Strong and the companion program Papa Strong focus on functional core rehabilitation, undoing years of bad habits and poor training. For anyone doubting how important core strength is, I recently found out that my years of rotator cuff problems are actually issues with core strength. Turns out that all of it is connected, and Courtney is focused on helping you get untangled. So, Courtney, thanks for joining us today. We're super oh, thanks for about having it. me. Thank you. When we mentioned to our listeners that we were going to have you on, we got a lot of people going, but she's like really like a real person, like somebody that people know. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> She's really a real person. I'm a real yeah. person. Yes, real I am. Person. I am. I am. Real live right here. So Courtney, we asked the same question to all of our guests, which works really well for farmers, but also for people who aren't. So we ask, what are you growing, which can cover kids and businesses and all kinds of different things. So what are you growing? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we'll get to the not growing piece in a second. Let's see. I am growing three daughters, age two and a half almost three because that's how she's acting <laughs> for sure. 10 years old and 15. See, what else am I growing? I have, I have, I'm trying to ungrow this, but I have too many pets. I have two dogs, two cats, two bunnies and many fish, which the number unfortunately dwindles every day. So it's, it's a situation. And then business-wise, I would say I'm working through post-pandemic business stuff which feels really rough and really terrifying. So I feel like I'm having to shift into a new and different sort of growth in business. And then for myself, I'm growing into being like, oh, 
I can't live off fumes, uh, hence the survival junkie. I'm still learning about that. So I'm learning how to like heal. I think this is the first time in my life. I've talked about it so much and I don't think I've actually put it into action. Like I've been talking and thinking and whatever. So now for me, the growth is like, what does it really mean to actually take action into actually healing? Yeah. And then the not growing part that is very sad to be talking to you all about, but also inspiring potentially is my garden. Like I have been desperate. I wish I'm going to send you all a picture and maybe you can put it in this somewhere in the notes because it is the most, there's two raised bed gardens in my backyard. And one of them is, it, I'll, there's, there's like a, a beach chair in it. And I just, it just never grew. And I would love to be a gardener. I would love to live on a farm. I didn't tell you all this before, but it is my dream to live on a farm and wake up in poop and mud every day and probably be far away from the internet, which is funny considering my daily life. But yes, so I think I covered it. I think that's about it. Courtney, I'll confess that I'm a pretty terrible gardener myself. I start oh. every year and I'm like, I'm so gung-ho and I like, I like to garden, but I don't have the attention span. That's what it vegetables. is. So now yeah. I just, I buy a CSA share from some friends of ours. I'm supporting a local business. I'm taking my kids to see another farm. You can justify anything if you try, you know, <laughs> you just kind of, I'm supporting a, a small family farm by not oh, taking man. their work away from them and letting them do something they're good at, which I'm not because. It's an attention span thing, right? I believe this is true. It's like I'll either overwater the plants or just like be like, ah, oh, well, they can survive. Like, <laughs> Yeah. 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 I probably parent uh, a lot the same way I deal with my plants, which I, explains a lot about a lot of things. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So Courtney, what are your dog's names? I know I've seen the black dog. Mm -hmm. comes wandering into videos yes that that i've ever seen the other one okay well there's a reason for that which is yeah so there's franny who's the tiny chihuahua slash whippet they're all rescues and she's currently asleep behind me looking very cozy and then there's phoenix who is a pandemic puppy which also means we've got some issues because she was not socialized and you know i i kind of think like if you love a dog they're just going to be great and that doesn't always pan out and phoenix is wonderful however she and franny have this like threshold is the word that i've learned for handling each other and then when they meet that threshold it's like they might kill each other they just something flips and phoenix gets really intense and doesn't even like get aggressive but just must communicate something in dog language and then Franny freaks out. Anyway, they like have poked holes in each other's necks. So it's a bit of a problem. So they are separated. Phoenix is currently on the couch and Franny's in here with me and, you know, kids. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say my children are a lot the same way. My kids are <laughs> recently five and almost four and they're either the very best of friends or actively trying to kill each other. And there is yeah. zero in between. So Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the, the pandemic's been hard on everybody, I think. Yes. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. Can you give us the 30-second elevator pitch for your program for the folks who are somehow just hearing about it for the first time? Yeah. So, you know, on paper, we are a fitness company, but I don't think we're really a fitness company. I believe we're a resource where people can learn about their biomechanics, can learn to be the mechanics of their own body so that they can then show up in the world as they choose. So I think, I really feel like we provide resources to, for people to 
kind of have that like, oh, that makes sense, common, common sense sort of moment with their own bodies and then be able to play detective. And then the hope is they then move into other things they love to do, whatever that may be. So it doesn't become like a trend and like something you have to keep doing and the thing that actually got you fit or whatever the goal is, but instead it's taught you how to show up just like you brush your teeth. It's taught you how to show up for your body so that you can then go do things and be, even if you get injured, you're not freaked out. You're like, oh, I know what was happening in the system or in my structure. I can go back and kind of play detective and work on this. And then I can keep doing the thing I love to do. So I don't know if that was 30 seconds, but that was my attempt. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things that's so important about this, especially core rehab is, you know, as someone who's got a number of core issues now from having two big babies in short order and both via C-section, how much your core is connected to. I think, you know, we think like, oh, I pulled a muscle in my arm and then I rehab that and then it's fine. Mm-hmm. But your core is literally connected to everything. And it's all these weird little things that nobody's ever heard of. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's so much more in depth than I think we give it any credit for. So I really yeah. appreciate that because yeah. I've learned a lot about how your body's put together. Yeah. I mean, it really, for me, that light bulb was as a professional dancer, of course, I understood movement and like the way things should look when it's being performed like proficiently, right. In a way that's going to look easy. Cause in the dance world, when something looks easy, then you're in the art side of it. Right. <laughs> Even though it's extremely hard. So I think I have like a, just kind of a natural instinct for that, but when I moved out of the dance world and went into Pilates, fortunately, I had this really incredible teacher and he was like, I don't care about Pilates. He's like, I want you to learn about the human body. And then I want you to fit Pilates into the human body. So he barely taught me Pilates and threw me in with regular human bodies doing movements that I didn't really fully understand so that I could begin to see the engineering of the body. Like, here's why we do this. Here's how the body works. Here's how this is connected. And sure enough, what I discovered is that pain points are very rarely the problem. They're like any other structure. Like if you have a crack in a bridge, if you go and kind of band-aid that crack, (laughs) it's going to crack again. There's something else uh, going on in the structure that you have to deal with and generally has to do with the support system. And that is in our body, that's the core, which is not just your abs, as you've learned. It's, you know, your trunk and your pelvic floor and your glutes, of course. But for me, that was really exciting because that helps to deal with pain in a way that I think doesn't just help people, but it gives people this feeling of like, oh, that, like I said before, that totally makes sense. Like when you hear that about your own structure, it makes sense. And then instead of falling apart, you're like, okay. There's a breakdown in the system that's causing all these pain points to take too much load. And that's why the system is falling apart, but they're not separate. And so if I deal with the core problem, these things will begin to change a bit, depending on the level of injury that's occurred. But yeah, that for me was like, that was a big deal for me and felt very inspiring. Also felt like, Hey, why is this being held hostage by the fitness world or by people who have this information when really every person should understand this. This should have been something we were taught when we were really young, instead of like V sits and PE and how many crunches you can do. (laughs) It should have been like, okay, this is the structure of your body. And these are the things that are important. I don't know. It felt inspiring. I think people feel inspired when they, when they hear this information. 
So I feel like you're kind of leading us to the next question that we had, which is how did you end up starting Mama Strong? I'm feeling like it was probably this discovery, but what, what led you to, to starting the program and, and the company? I will say it definitely came out of a very, very desperate place, which I think is where a lot of these ideas actually turn into reality. Because had I known what I know today about business, or I'm almost 10 years into this, um, especially online business, I'm not sure I would have done it. I don't, and if I did understand, I'm not sure I would have done it well, because I would have been so focused on numbers. I would have been so focused on money. I would have been so focused on the terror of <laughs> online traffic that I'm not sure I would have done it well. So for me, it came after the birth of my second child, Ren. I was in a bit of a pickle in uh, my marriage at that time and was needing to leave that marriage. And I was feeling pretty disempowered and pretty run over. And then at the same time, I needed to provide some income to the family. So I was considering going back to teach Pilates and I did do that a little bit, but underneath all that, I was in a significant amount of pain, but I wasn't telling anybody because I'm a Pilates teacher and I was one of the, you know, top Pilates teachers focus on core rehabilitation and back pain in Houston. And there I was like barely able to lie down on my back and dealing with this belly situation that when people saw me, even, you know, eight months postpartum, a year postpartum, two years postpartum, people were like, are you pregnant again? And so I felt a lot of shame about all that. So I think the combination of like dealing with postpartum depression, for sure, which I've dealt with, with every single one of my kids, some of the desperate things going on in my life that felt really huge and dealing with this pain, it kind of like created this formula of screw it. Like (laughs) I'm just, something's not right. Something is not right. Like this, something's not right here. And I started reading a bit more about low back pain and started discovering that the way I had been taught to treat back pain was actually probably causing more of my back pain. And that gave me a lot of relief. And so I started doing more and more reading and developed what is today Mama Strong. So obviously it's gone through lots of iterations and, you know, first it started with just little videos that I was sending to clients and saying, Hey, try this, try this, try this. And then I started researching video hosting. And next thing you know, I'm looking at like, at the time it was like, everything was separate. There wasn't like a one, there was like video hosting and then there was like email. And then there was like (laughs) your web, like nothing was connected. So I was then researching this incredible world of technology and it helped my brain. It also got me out of that marriage. I think something with dealing with the core of me did something bigger than just helping me through the pain. I felt like I could stand on my own two feet. I didn't feel as vulnerable as a woman as I did when I really felt broken from the inside out in some ways bigger than others. But yeah, so that's what started it. And, you know, I really did think originally that, you know, you create this great thing. This is 10 years ago, right? Where like online business was like the new thing and it just took good copy and people would come and you just like, boo, have this booby business. And sure enough, the first day, the launch, we had like a launch party, which is crazy thinking about it. Just like my friends coming to be like, okay, whatever Courtney's doing sounds insane, but okay. And you know, we had one purchase and it stayed that way for a good period of time. And that purchase was in Canada. And I was so excited. I'm like, oh my God, we already hit the international market. And it was an old client who had moved to Canada. (laughs) (laughs) So It's international. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, we're global already. But yeah, so that's how it started. So as someone of a certain age who grew up, you know, seeing fitness programs on TV, you'd flip through and there'd be, you know, the 
real blonde ladies with the huge hair and the thong leotards and the scrunchy socks with the white sneakers. You know? oh, yeah. um, for our younger listeners, this was a thing. Um, <laughs> and one of my, you know, so much of our lives seems based around this authenticity, but then that is so carefully curated to be authentic, but in a, you know, messy hair, don't care kind of way. And so one of my favorite things about your program is, you know, seeing your dog trying to lick your face and, she's, you know, stealing your ball and you've got your kids' pictures in the background. And, you know, it, it makes me hate you less when we're on that like thousandth set of the grumpy crabs. And I'm just like, why, why am I paying this woman for this? Like, you know, I think if you showed up in a thong leotard, I'd, I'd actually be out. I mean, yeah. For At sure. this point, it might actually be funny, but if you were one of those like, rah, rah, get your bikini body in shape, I'd, I'd be out, you know, yeah. because screw that. So yeah. how do you approach having that level of vulnerability and literally putting so much of your personal life in front of an audience like this? You know, I'm just going to be totally transparent with this. I didn't struggle with this as much at first. The, the market online was very different. And, you know, we've grown as a business as well. So things have changed a little bit and the times have changed a bit because authenticity, like you kind of just mentioned, has become a bit of a brand in itself too. But so in the beginning, showing up really gritty, not made up, very rarely in a good mood and being willing to say like, I really don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. And then sometimes breaking down or sometimes like laughing about ridiculous things or like you said, the dogs and like all that that was like, that felt very easy in the beginning because I think I needed that connection. I needed to know that there were other people in this industry who, in the fitness industry, who wanted that as well. And it felt really rebellious because there was not anybody doing that at that time. <laughs> 10 years ago, it was, that was not happening. And so it felt very rebellious and it felt, it fit with who I am as a person which I really feel like more of an activist than a fitness person. I was like, more like what happens when we get people feeling like the owners of their own body. And that's because we all teach what we need to know. And I needed and still do and still working on this piece for myself is like not being objectified, being the owner of my own body. That felt like a key part of what I was trying to share and learn about myself. And so of course we teach what we need to know. So that in the beginning felt like such an essential component. And I don't think I would have shown up throughout all of these workouts over 10 years, basically one workout a day. I mean, it's over 4,000 workouts that I've filmed. I don't think I would have kept going. And there were times where I wanted to stop the business uh, because for good reason, it would have been a sane thing to do, but I would be like, well, <laughs> I still need to do these 15 minutes every day. And I know I will not do them on my own. I know that part of the reason I show up is because I'm held accountable to these other people who've like agreed to show up with me. And so this is going to help me show up. And it's also something I'm doing that's bigger than me. So it just got me through really hard things and kept me embodied in a way that I'm not sure I would have done. And the vulnerability was the key piece and the community formed around that vulnerability because people came in and I show up as a person who kind of represents the fitness industry. I mean, I'm a blonde woman. I am a thin woman. Like I develop muscle pretty quickly. I was a former dancer and that is a bit of a hurdle to overcome when you're trying to show up and be like, Hey, be a mess <laughs> and have people really believe that that's true. They're going to look at me first and be like, 
yeah, shut up, Courtney. <laughs> like You're full of crap and look at you. So for me to really be willing to show my underbelly had to not be something I was trying to create or manufacture. It had to be like, and this is who I am. And people who know me know there's, this is who I am. And I'm an, a person who is a fan of the underbelly or the shadow self or whatever. Like, let's, let's go there. Let's talk about it. And so for me, that vulnerability was really a willingness to expose that piece of myself and through thick and thin. So today that's shifted a bit. I think partly because there's a lot online and partly because people have begun to make a product out of authenticity and grittiness and scrappiness. And, you know, we saw Thug Kitchen come out first and that was great. We're saying all these bad words and being funny about food and all that. It's great. Right. But then people saw how lucrative that became because people wanted that the average human wants the scrappy thing. So then people said, great, (laughs) let's manufacture that. And so I think that's the struggle for us now is making sure people know that we're like really the originals in this department and that we really are full underbelly and this isn't a manufactured product, but it is a bit different because people are more skeptical, which they should be. And the market is demanding slightly different things. I also sometimes struggle now that we've grown. I'm a very private person, which people are confused by. In fact, if you came over to my house and wanted to do a workout, you, you, I would not, I would probably run to the closet and hide. I can work out in front of a camera. But if there are other people here, I'm extremely introverted. And so sometimes it is, it's gotten harder, the bigger we've got gotten to receive feedback, (laughs) you know, people saying, Hey, I really don't like when you say this, or, Hey, could you not talk when you're doing your 30, 30, I'm there for a workout, not to hear about your life. Or, you know, during the pandemic, when I had a couple of breakdowns on camera about childcare, we got quite a bit of response there. So I had to learn the difference between showing up vulnerably and authentically, and then being careful about how much I was asking people to hold. And I'm still figuring that out. Like, I think there was a point in time where I kind of put too much out there and the people became worried about me. And that's where vulnerability turns into something that isn't so great for people. So I had to learn like, okay, vulnerability underbelly is one thing that I know how to do. And how do I, how do I express that? while letting people know that they don't need to take care of me. They don't need another person to take care of. And I'm still learning that. And I think that's where it's a little bit hard right now. It's just, how do I handle feedback? How do I then make sure people don't feel like they need to take care of me? And how do I then still share at the same time? So I'm not quite there. I'm I'm learning as I go, but it's gotten harder in 2022, to be totally honest. Well, and I feel like for myself, at least with the pandemic, even when I don't want someone else to take care of me the lack of anybody having the brain space that they could take Mm -hmm. care of you is just crushing yes that nobody has the resources to help even if you don't want them to it's still nice to know that somebody could ride to your rescue yes it's you know it's been a hard thing definitely woof hard yeah yeah and I imagine too that that daily factor, you know, because because you're committed to and and providing, you know, a service, but also you know you're committing to showing up every day. So that is your connection to people, right? So the I mean, these people on the other side of the camera are in your mm-hmm. in your life every day. So yeah, I, I can't imagine that the the balancing act of that 
where especially you know in the lockdown parts of the pandemic when you maybe weren't seeing anybody else those are the people in your life right <laughs> exactly that is exactly what happened it was like you know, I went through such hard things as we all did during the pandemic. It was so hard in a way that I don't think any of us could have predicted. And we're not out of like, let's be real, like the caretaking load. And what I think, unfortunately, in 20 years from now, they're going to have a lot of data on our generation of mothers. And it's not going to look great. <laughs> that data is going to be like this period of time really, really had a negative effect on, on this generation of women. And we really failed these, these parents, not just women, parents. And the pandemic had a really, really huge effect. And so, and I also went through another divorce that was catastrophic and unexpected and devastating for the reasons that the divorce had to happen. So I was going through that. I was dealing with three kids at home. <laughs> I, it, like you said, I didn't have another, like, it was just I didn't have another outlet. You're just here in your house dealing with this stuff, dealing with the way it just was like so much that it definitely came out. And, and you all, all the members are my other grownups, my people. So yeah, there were some, there were some bleeding out moments that I've had to learn from, but I'm still grateful that I had a place I could do that, you know? Sure. Yeah. And I'm sure that for the, you know, for the handful of complaints you got, I'm sure there were so many people out there who appreciated and loved you for the fact that you were you were showing up and being authentic in that place too right you know absolutely we've absolutely. all had those days where we needed to break down and knowing that someone else had those days too is is reassuring yeah for sure so i'm thinking of this in terms of you know from a farmer's perspective you know like being used to doing physical labor every day and feeling like you don't have to either time to exercise or, that, or you're already physically exhausted, you know, like you've yeah. already got your steps in or whatever, right before, mm -hmm. <laughs> before nine in the morning. So what advice do you have for someone who's either gotten out of the habit of exercising, has never really done exercise or, or kind of doesn't feel, doesn't know what benefit could come from it, you know, if you're already doing physical mm. labor? Mm. Yeah. So for me, this comes from a very like uh, tried and true thing in my own life, which is I'm not a natural shower upper. Like I'm, if you, I'm a flake to myself and to other people and not because I, I don't care about other people or myself because I, I struggle with, you know, my brain and I struggle with ADHD and I struggle with some social anxiety stuff, things like that. And also when it comes to my own well-being and my own Self, like I am, I will tend towards not doing the things I need to know I need to do for my own body. That is my tendency. And I think the first thing is coming to terms with that and knowing which kind of person you are when it comes to doing kind of boring, mundane health things for yourself. And for me, the first thing was going, okay, this is not something that you're naturally going to go to on your own. You need accountability. You need kind of it to be your job <laughs> in order for this to happen. And so the first thing is acknowledging that for me, giving myself some grace in that, and then setting up some um, systems in place, like for mine, hello, it's my job to where the pain of not showing up is greater than the pain of showing up. And so when we're talking about a 15 minute workout, that's why they're 15 minutes or five minutes that kind of pans out because you be, the more you do it, the begin, the more you begin to see like, oh, that wasn't that bad, but the pain of spending the whole day with basically a toddler in my head, yelling at me, please, please do your work. I do your work. I do your work. Oh, you suck. You didn't do your workout. Oh, all the terrible things we tell ourselves, right? 
the pain of that all day long becomes greater than the pain of just getting that over with, you know, or scrolling on Instagram and doom scrolling and looking at terrible things doesn't make you feel great. So you begin, <laughs> you begin to kind of adjust that. So that's, that to me is the first thing. Um, the next one is that I never wait for the, I want to moment. Like you're not going to want to do it. If you're struggling with beginning again, you're not going to want to do it. So just, even if you're just doing a minute of jumping jacks in the beginning, just get moving, even when you don't want to, or when it's not convenient. In fact, that was one of the things that really helped me is instead of trying to find this sequestered period of peaceful time, uh, where I could get my workout in that, that didn't pan out one, because that rarely happens. And two, when I do have that time, give me a break. I am not going to work out. (laughs) You're giving me quiet time. And I'm going to be like, okay, let's go put our shoes on. No, uh, you want to do something brainless. So, um, putting it in when it's inconvenient. You've all seen me do it while the Instapot is in the background and in the kitchen, or, you know, the kids are running around or when I'm in a really bad mood, it's like waiting for the want to will never happen. And out of the 4,000 workouts I filmed, I can count on one hand, the number of times I've wanted to do it. So, you know, and then the other piece I think is developing proof. So I think we all deserve and need proof to then build a habit. And for me, I don't have enough data or information off of one workout. I need like three days in a row (laughs) of just like doing five minutes and doing that for three days in a row. And then what happens is the imagery I have is it's kind of like pedaling up a hill. You're like pedaling up the hill in those three days. (laughs) It's torture, right? But after you get up and you're now coasting on flat or maybe even going down a hill, Now you have a little bit of momentum behind you and it feels easier than it did before. But if you're constantly starting over, then you're basically having to go up a hill every day. And because you're a human, you're not going to do it. So for me, developing that three day kind of streak is really key to just getting up the hill. And then once you get there, your brain does something interesting. It's like, okay, that wasn't that bad. Just get it over with. Oh, you can only do five minutes. Oh, it doesn't have to be perfect. Oh, it does this and that for me in that amount of time. I do feel better. And then you're up that hill. But if you're having to start over every week or every month, you're just dealing with this normal human thing of not wanting to pedal up a hill every day. (laughs) So I always call it like Mount Everest versus Mount exercise. Like level out the expectations and get it to a place where your brain is like, okay, it's Mount exercise. It's not Mount Everest that I have to climb. And you can only do that by kind of forcing yourself onto the mat and getting five minutes over with 10 minutes over with 15 minutes, just getting that going and then keeping it going. My begin again moments, whether I've been on vacation or I've taken like even a day or two off, I hate them so much because it is so hard to get myself to pedal up that hill, but yeah, it's worth it. It sure is worth it, but yeah. Courtney, this is a really interesting sales tactic that you're just telling people (laughs) you hate exercise too. And that it's never actually going to be fun. I will say I was afraid when we booked this interview that you would look at how long I've been a member and how consistently I've shown up because it's, uh, you know, I'm always starting yeah. over, but I've been doing the, what is it? The core rehab camp. Oh yeah. Core I'm no camp, good yeah. at names. So whatever. Never mind. Yeah. And having that few moments and it's longer every workout where I can feel that my body is where it needs to be and mm-hmm. that things are actually balancing and it's not 
you know, my core is going one way and my shoulders are pulling back the other way and one of my hips is going left and, mm. you know, that makes me want to keep showing up. I'm mm-hmm. not, the exercise is still not fun, but I'm sorry. Mm-mm. You make it as fun as it's going to be, but yeah. it's still doing squats. I mean, it's not. I mean, is the, the unfortunate you know. <laughs> thing is we've handed off the leadership of the fitness industry to a very small percentage of people who like would default to this anyway. I think the statistics, and these are pretty old, so I'm sure they've changed, is like 11% of us are the people who will just do the thing. <laughs> They're just, and I know some of these people, they'll just sign up, click play, do the thing. There's not a lot of resistance, right? They're going to go to the gym. I don't gym. know any of those people. Right. I really don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's true. So then 88, that leaves 88 more than that. I don't know. I'm not doing good math. The rest of us in 89, the rest of us are going to struggle and very rarely do it. But yet we have leadership in the fitness industry that are people, at least from the outside looking in. And I doubt that's entirely true, right? They're probably making a lot of money or that's like their job or who knows, right? But we've handed off the leadership and this ideology of like, no pain, no gain, never give up. You're going to change your life if you exercise. And that for me is so damaging because when you show up for a 15 minute workout, you are not going to change your life. So not only have you then shown up, but now you're a little bummed out because you're like, well, I'm still hurting and I didn't change my life and I'm not a different person. (laughs) And I have to do this again tomorrow. So the expectations that we put on the mat with us every day, I compare it a lot of times to like, if you had to move a small apartment, you know, the contents of a small apartment off your mat every day, that's what we do with our expectations because we've been sold the idea that we can, you know, Rocky Balboa our way through fitness. And somehow when we do that, we're going to find this stride that's going to create this amazing life and we're going to get there. And I'm sure some of those people exist and I'm happy for them. And I, I think it's great. I just haven't known it to be true. And for me, I have to level exercise down to saying like, okay, in this five or 15 minute exercise, what can I actually get done? I need to, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to unpack a small apartment every time I work out. (laughs) I'm a human. That would be crazy. But we think we, we kind of put ourselves in that position every time we work out. So I'm like, clear off the mat. Let's get a post-it note (laughs) and let's write down an expectation that is the size of a post-it note on your mat that you can actually meet in this moment. So guess what? Mine are usually like not yelling at my kids, not sending that email or that text that I really want to send. Pausing, right? Feeling blood flow. Sometimes it's like, I need to punch out all this stuff. I just need to get out all the stuff I'm absorbing. And you know what? In five minutes, honestly, one minute, I can meet that goal. Feeling your heartbeat, you know, like feet on the ground. Some days I'm like, today, I just want to check in instead of checking out. And then I'll go back to checking out. It's just like those expectations you can do in that amount of time. And then you're not going to be disappointed and you're not going to be having to move that small apartment off your mat every day. Now, the trick here is there's grief in here because now I've popped the bubble of saying like, Hey, this is going to change your life. (laughs) That is the, the, the healthy you that, you know, is waiting for you behind this magical curtain may not exist. And even if it did, it might not be for you. So what's happened for me after 10 years of doing this is that 
the way I like to describe this is like, I'm, I imagine myself sitting in a uh, diner eating the same breakfast every day, right? Like just like <laughs> every day I show up at the diner, I'm eating the same breakfast and I'm just like in a booth and I'm just like doing the thing, right? I'm just there to eat breakfast. Well, all of a sudden in slides next to me, like healthy, happy, content me. And I'm like, oh, where did you come from? <laughs> it just slides in next to you. Whatever needs to happen slides in next to you. For me, the process of Mama Strong has not only resulted in two divorces that needed to happen for my own well-being and learning about my 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 where I am in relationships and what I allow to happen to me and my body in relationships. Having to deal with that because I repeated it so many times, right? <laughs> I, I went through that because of showing up every day. I went through a major rock bottom in my life, having to do with alcoholism and really messing up business and personal life. Like I lost everything. <laughs> this all happened while doing Mama Strong, still showing up, getting sober. <laughs> like all these things for me happened during this time and it slid in next to me. Had I said, I'm going to exercise and I'm going to be healthy me. I don't think those things would have happened because I would have never imagined that those are the things I needed to do for my life. But it kind of is like the other image I have is like, when you agree to this type of wellness, it's like putting your foot into a clear pond, right? It looks really clear and you're like, Oh, it's so beautiful. And you put your foot in it. And then the sediment from the bottom all comes up and it's suddenly very murky. And you're like, ah, dang it. <laughs> That's what happens when you step into this type of wellness is like the stuff gets stirred up, but it's the stuff you need so that you can live your life and feel good and congruent where your insides match your outsides, all that good stuff. So yeah, that was a long answer, but yes. <laughs> this, I just rearranged my questions because this fits so perfectly into the question that I just bumped up. So as a lot of our listeners know, we had four years of fertility treatments before our first kid. She was full breech, had a C-section, which was not wow. my plan. You know, it's all, right. it'll be super easy to get pregnant. And that didn't happen. I was like, well, natural birth. And that didn't happen. And then breastfeeding mm -hmm. didn't work and postpartum depression and this and this and this. And, and then the, the second kid is 16 months younger than the first kid. So that's a wow. C-section and more yeah. breastfeeding not working. And after yeah. the second kid, my body basically just lost its ability to do things like yeah. maintaining a heart rate or blood pressure or yeah. anything else. And so I remember, and this was the moment where I realized that I will happily just subscribe to your program forever. I don't <laughs> really care if I like die or suddenly become a marathon runner or whatever. Um, <laughs> I was doing one of your workouts in my kitchen floor with the dog and the cats and the kids and everybody else. And, you know, we're just working out, just sticking our foot in the pond, you know, doing our thing. And then you asked us to actually talk to our bellies and mm -hmm. to, to thank them for what they had done for us. And my mm. immediate reaction was so much anger. Yes. About fuck you. I'm not going to thank you. Yes. I had to drag you through the whole goddamn process. And now you're yes. not, you're still not working. No, yep. you don't deserve yep. to be thanked. You don't yep. deserve to be happy because you can't do it right. Yep. And I'll tell you how many years of therapy that saved me because that, <laughs> wow, just blew a lot of shit wide open that mm. my body has been showing up and it mm. hasn't 
done a great job of showing up maybe the way I would have hoped mm. that it would, but I also spent mm. a lot of years not taking any care of it. So mm -hmm. that's on me too. But just this working out and exercising and showing up to tend to ourselves and to mm. care for ourselves instead of getting our bikini body Mm -hmm. running a 5k that we're not interested in you know mm -hmm. i mean if you actually like to run cool i don't understand it but whatever yeah. floats your boat but how much exercise and wellness in our bodies has been tied into what's good for other people mm. and what's convenient for other people mm. and not what works for us and how much of pregnancy and childbirth and child rearing for me, especially the first time around, because the second time around, there was a lot less bullshit being dealt with, was about making my process easier for other people and making my experience more convenient for others. How inconvenient it felt to deal with infertility that I was, you know, taking up other people's time and spending mm -hmm. money. And why was I special enough to, to need this help? Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of shit to unpack. And I did not expect it to come from a workout video, you know? And yeah. there's not even a question in there. I well, just, I, when you talk about making this change for people, I mean, it's mm -hmm. not about the exercise. Although when your core is doing what it's supposed to do, it is life changing, mm -hmm. but just the showing up for ourselves and that this is what my kids are seeing when mommy says mommy's gonna go exercise that's right and then she isn't i mean sometimes i'm cursing you but mm -hmm. not that often <laughs> you know and they're seeing that i still show up even when you make me mad so yeah you know, well it's good for them i think so much of what you said is something that i've experienced too and i think so many of us experience with our bodies and what we've been taught about them. And it, it comes down to something I think a lot about as I watch my parents age, especially my mom, she has gotten through a terrible battle with cancer. And it made me think about the legacy we want to leave behind with our body and like, and how we treated our bodies. And I don't think that's talked a lot about in the wellness industry, because it's really about like getting to your best self, which if you think about the legacy in there that you're leaving behind and probably the ones we saw our parents and other people deal with, that's like saying this can be changed. <laughs> and if it is changed, then X, Y, and Z will happen. But underneath that is like this very deep lack of safety with your own body. And that feels treacherous. That's like any relationship that you have, if you're not feeling safe <laughs> with it, you're going to behave a little bit differently. You're not really going to get that connected. You might do certain things to try to, you know, make it work and make it functional, but you're not really going to get connected. And so when you can find safety in your body, that becomes different. And the safe thing here, and that's the legacy I want to leave behind for my kids, which is saying like, I sought safety in my body. I saw it because I think also it can be really kind of packaged and commodified this idea of like body positivity, right? Because I honestly don't love my body a lot, <laughs> like, but the body neutrality movement is a little bit more appropriate here. But underneath all that for me is safety in my body. That's what I want to leave behind that 
I opted for finding safety and security in my body at whatever, what, whatever that meant to my kids, which is not something any of us were taught down. We were, we are taught, we were taught that our bodies are going to fail us. They're falling apart. They're going to gain weight when we don't want them to. They're no longer going to be valued by society. Your belly is definitely the entire problem. And the reason why you're an asshole, like, I mean, (laughs) just like all these things that we've been taught about it, that legacy comes through when we behave in those ways to our own body. So for me, stepping in and thanking my body feels, I also get so angry or I got so angry at first because there's a a stuff in that relationship, right? That you don't feel safe, (laughs) but when you work through it and you begin to see that actually, even if you're dealing with cancer, even if you're dealing with a terrible injury or something going on, autoimmune disease, the things so many of us deal with, like underneath that, when you really look at the system of the body, it is trying to keep you going (laughs) against all odds. I mean, sometimes I look at like my, when I went to the doctor recently and I looked at the results from my labs and I'm like, why are you okay? Like you shouldn't be okay, Courtney, with what you have put your body through. Certainly don't drink enough water. I have not been eating enough because when I'm going through trauma healing stuff, like I have zero appetite. I have, I mean, I average like four or five hours of sleep at night. Like I haven't been kind to myself. Like on, I shouldn't, but there my body is. Now, will that system break down over time? Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't have the resources anymore. It's not trying to hurt you. It's like that to me, and especially with the bellies, like you said. We do not give people who birth enough information about what has just happened, not by giving birth, but by being pregnant and then breastfeeding and then carrying very big, unpredictable objects in our arms while trying to do everything else. We don't have enough information about that. So of course our bellies take the brunt of it because that's just what happens we don't have enough information. So when we begin to flip that and thank the body for figuring out bizarre ways to keep us going without an infrastructure there, it begins to change it a bit. And there's a lot of healing. There's a lot of stuff that happens that I think becomes really important. Well, and I think that's exactly it was that I got so angry, you know, how dare you make me think my body is not doing a very good job. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, but it did make me two beautiful babies Mm -hmm. who are healthy and strong and it healed up from a number of surgeries and an immense number of medical interventions and cancer surgery while i was pregnant oh my god and it's still showing up so how much of an asshole am i that i'm like well you didn't do it good enough right like if one of my kids came to me with that kind of attitude and my daughter god lover has it doesn't end well because how fucking ungrateful are you that your body is doing its best it's not well designed it's we're not taking good care of it Mm. and then we're getting pissed when it won't do what we want and you know that's yeah it's it's my body's doing a better job than i give it credit for yes that way and i think with this demographic in particular that seeks out mama strong the other thing that happens and i don't mean to take you off on a tangent but the other thing that happens here is that we commodify a body that looks integrated. And so for the average person, we don't want, we don't want that, right? We don't want to sell out 
to that whole thing. So when we begin to take care of ourselves, guess what? Now we're moving into a place where we are, we feel like we're selling out of it. And so I think finding, I always talk about the the tension between extremes, which was taught to me by an incredible um, therapist. She was like, Courtney, (laughs) you're so black or white thinking, like you're here or there. She goes, health happens in the tension between the extremes. And I immediately imagine like two hooks on a wall and a wire between them. And I have been spending my whole life thinking I either hate my body or I love my body. If I hate my body, it's falling apart and not doing a good job. And if I love my body, it's doing great. It's shiny. It's glowy. It's like integrated flat stomach, all this stuff. (laughs) And yeah, but the tension between that living in the wire is actually the place where health happens and the hard work. That's the hard work because you have a body that's going to do things that are often frustrating and you're going to have to step up and take better care of yourselves while not selling out at the same time. Right. So it's, it's, for me, that's, that's the impetus here. And that's the reason people begin to get hooked into exercise when they really do in a way that's good for them is that they're saying, okay, I'm going to live in the tension between these extremes. And it's possible, although we're not taught that. And a lot of what you dealt with in your body wasn't even yours to begin with. You either weren't taught or you were taught super shitty things. Like, you know, it's most of the time being, being missing information or being full of information that is really not helpful for us. Yeah. Yeah. I will say looking back at, you know, I was fairly athletic as a teenager and looking back at the training and the exercises and things we did from an improved understanding of how the core works and what more even development would have looked like is mm-hmm. wow yeah um, wow <laughs> yeah wow that's all i'm gonna say about it there's a lot of anger there that we're just you know it's it's at the bottom of the pile of shit mm-hmm. i'm gonna deal with in therapy in another like 40 years i might get there but, <laughs> me too you know, but it's just wow yeah. Katie mentioned at the beginning of the episode, she used the phrase survival junkie. Do you want to explain to our listeners what, what you mean by that and how that pertains to what you're you're going through and, and how you're functioning? Yeah. If I can yeah. insert Oof. to here, Arlene, mm-hmm. I heard the other day somebody described it as being a survival shark because sharks oh. have to keep moving forward or they die. They cannot breathe without moving. And I thought yeah. that was such a... Yeah. This is a really important topic for me right now because I have, I'll have five years sober in May from substances, but I've discovered as everything, right? The freaking layers of the onion. You're like, God damn it. Isn't that good enough? Like that's good enough for, do I have to do more? I think I have an addiction to depletion. And this was told to me by a, a friend whom I lost in my rock bottom. And she said, you are a survival junkie. And she, she was absolutely correct. And for me, what it has meant is that I have learned to regulate think neurochemical stuff, right? Like my brain, I have ADHD. I'm like, there's things in my brain that I have learned to regulate either using substances or staying depleted when I am depleted and kind of in survival mode, it really helps me focus crazy enough. Like (laughs) it really helps me focus. And that doesn't, that doesn't work long-term. 
but that's kind of like the surface of it. Underneath all of this, I really think there is an addiction to depletion that I am going to actually start to work through the same way that I worked through an addiction to alcohol and kind of pull it apart a bit. So I don't really have all the answers for it, except that I know that this is like the golden nugget. A great example is (laughs) if, and I'm sure everybody feels this way. If, if I'll use money as an example, which is a hefty topic, but if I have like, if I get a little bit of extra money from say my tax return (laughs) or something, it will go in my savings account. And I swear to God that I get more anxious with cushion than I do hustling. What is that about? All I can do is go back to being a young kid and go back to, you know, my inner child, which of course I think is where our shadow selves develop, right? I really think that it had to do with very early conditioning of what it meant for me to find safety and to feel like I had control over something. And so when I'm in a position where I'm having to hustle and I'm having to like keep moving like that shark, it just does something for me. It gives me a ping the same way alcohol used to do. It helps me not feel what I'm feeling. It's like so bizarre, but it definitely is similar to the high that I would get from using substances. When I'm depleted, I get a similar sort of high. And I don't think other people probably relate to this in the same way. I think people probably deal with this and like, okay. (laughs) But I think some people probably deal with survival junkie stuff in this, in this, in like the realm of like needing to feel useful or needing to belong. Like, I think you could fit in a lot of things here. For me, mine comes from a high I get that keeps me from feeling what I'm feeling. If I have cushion, guess what? Whether that's sleep, money in the bank, extra food in my body, (laughs) extra time on my schedule, I then have the opportunity to be with me. And for me, alcoholism was really all about like, let's exit. I need to exit. What is the best way to get out of what I'm feeling right now? And alcohol because of genetics and neurochemical stuff for me really did that. And then I had no ability to stop after that point. So I think with depletion, that's the next layer of my work is to look at what survival mode was when I was young, how that made me feel safe, how that made me feel like I was in control and what that did for me. What was the benefit there? How have I been using my stress hormones my whole life to manage myself? I think that's a big component. I think I depend on cortisol and adrenaline big time. So how have I been self-regulating through being extra depleted? And, you know, it, cause I think, I think with this topic, a lot of times it's like, well, just sit and meditate. Like you just need to be with yourself. And I'm like, yeah, but there's something a layer deeper than that, which is like, I have an addiction to depletion. I get a high from being depleted. It helps me regulate my life, but the end result is this will hurt me very, very, very badly. Like this will hurt my life very badly. So it's progressive too. So like, what do I have to do to change that behavior and to move into new behavior? And then how do I deal with the discomfort of being left with me just there dealing with that kind of stuff? It's, it's, it's not something I have figured out, but it is definitely the nugget of a lot of the other things. 
And I also think the other piece, and I'll stop rambling about this, is that it will have a dramatic change in my life with people around me, with choices I make, with how much I probably overdo care for my kids. Like, I think it's going to have a lot of effects on my life that will be good in the long run for everybody, but it's going to be, I feel like a little resistant, just like I know with getting sober, you're like, oh my God, (laughs) get ready for the changes that come your way. So I think there's a resistance to that, but yeah, it's, yeah. Wow. (laughs) I feel like you kind of just opened my head and dumped a bunch of shit out there, Courtney. Uh, I'm, I'm very much the same way. I think for myself, a lot of it comes from when you're hustling and when resources are very tight, so many options are off the table that it makes it easier to pick which thing you'll do or which mm-hmm. thing you'll pursue. I mean, as a as someone whose ADHD was diagnosed at 39, it's explaining a lot about yep. how my brain works. And I was always that kid that, you know, they'd say, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm like, one thing? Pick, pick <laughs> one, <laughs> one thing. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, and so when you only have $20, it's really easy to figure out where that $20 is going. But when there's a cushion in the bank, mm. now you have control and you have power and you have choices. And that's mm-hmm. a lot. And you know, not to sound too like woo woo about it, but if you have all that power and control and choices, you can do whatever the fuck you want. I you know, know, and that's the so scary you... thing. Yeah. <sighs> I... Yeah. Wow. We're going to have to have another episode where we like get into that. We're going to take down Brene Brown. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> the Corky show. <laughs> Maybe you guys could team up. I could see some real, some real power coming out of that one. Yeah, but, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Oof, it's a good topic for real. It's one that I think, I think getting diagnosed with it also as an adult, you look back and you realize how much of your life, because girls didn't have ADHD. In fact, I have a twin brother and he was diagnosed with ADHD. Did they ever even put me in a room to get evaluated? No. <clears throat> but Were you gifted, I, but not working up to your potential? That's oh, the one yeah. I heard the most. Does yeah. not work up to potential. Yeah, I think I learned how to fawn and fake it very quickly. I think I really learned how to like go home and read the book because I, when the people were talking, I couldn't hear anything going on. <laughs> so I just learned, as we all did, the coping skills. But I would have never thought, yeah, it, it, I think it is peeling apart those things and the ways mental health have such an effect on these parts of our lives we, we definitely and even neurodivergence like everybody thinks differently everybody's got a different brain up there and these well, things have a huge effect i think so much it plays into the physical side of things too that like you know i feel like when we were kids adhd was kind of like are you setting the room on fire no yeah you're fine you that's know? right and that's like right. are you dead no you're right. fine and <laughs> that's right i'm really glad that we're coming to a place where we can look at everything between Mm-hmm. you know perfect health and dead and yeah. pull that line back a little to where the optimum might be you know yeah. or on how your brain works so i will admit you know talking about adhd and how our how our brains work <laughs> that the first time i heard you say something about pulling the collarbones apart <laughs> i thought you had lost your fucking mind I was like, does, <laughs> does courtney know what collarbones are like this seems like a weird hill to die on but okay 
<laughs> it had literally never occurred to me that they could go out sideways, that your shoulders could move apart and not back and forth. You know, mm -hmm. I've always been taught, you know, push your shoulders back, push your, you know, not out. And mm -hmm. so how do you, how do you come up with these analogies and visuals and let alone the, you know, the flashlight and oh, that just yeah. kills me every time I think about it. Um, the flashlight out the, well, I used to call it the runway and then people like, please use correct anatomical terms. I'm like, okay, okay. So it's the parent. Is that how you got to hoo-ha? So I stopped using hoo-ha as well, because one, you know, we're, I'm trying to be more gender neutral in my language. And also hoo-ha, like, I get it, like that we should use the real words, but also because I used to teach in the, in the jails, Harris County Jail, and I would teach them how to squat. And I would tell them, get your hoo-ha over the hole, like at the, you know, in the potty is the people who are, don't know mom's strong are like, what is she talking about? So like, when you do a squat, <laughs> they're like, this is a whole new program. No, you're moving your pelvis back. So if you were squatting your, the center of your pelvis would be over that potty. So, but anyway, I was in Starbucks one time and I'm checking out and <laughs> this woman from across the room yells, it's the hoo hot lady. <laughs> like, <laughs> she had been recently released and she came over and we had like a really good moment, but um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to change that for a lot of reasons that needed to change. But yes. Yeah, so for me, the visuals come from a couple of things kind of related to this language discussion actually, which is for me, anatomical terms are rather clinical and kind of as a kid, I kind of decided like, if, if you're really smart and you're really like an expert, you know, those words and, but they're about your body. Right. But they're kind of difficult to say. And it sounds like out of a textbook and it sounds like very advanced stuff, which it is right. And it needs to be, it's science, whatever. But I um, also dealt with dealing with sexual assault and a lot of the things that came from that, where you get everything gets very clinical, very fast. And so for me, using funny terms for words was a way to kind of talk about body parts without it becoming so clinical. So for me, it was a personal survival mechanism there to change language. But in terms of the visuals, I find that if I tell people to squeeze their butt or pull their shoulders down, when you apply those cues, your nervous system has no idea what to do with that. It will only use muscles that tend to compensate. And so they're limited, but they're, you know, used often in fitness because they're quick and because technically they should work for some, pe some people. But when you really want your deep stabilizing muscles, I call them your type B personality muscles. When you really want them to rejoin the classroom, imagine them kind of taking a nap in the classroom. You, you need to use some different language that gets them interested. And so it's kind of like when you tell your body, instead of shoulders down or pull your shoulders back, if you instead tell your body to imagine, to really visualize what it looked like, because this is not actually what's happening, right? But if you tell your body to visualize what it would feel like if your collarbones were expanding out to the side, suddenly your mid back or your deep stabilizing muscles kick in. Now, if I tell you just to pull your shoulders down, which is anatomically what is happening, you are actually going to work your uh, neck. You're going to work your lats. You're going to work your rhomboids. You're going to work a lot of other things that actually lead to more pain. 
But if I give you a visual that puts your body into motion, the nervous system then kicks in and begins to use the deep stabilizing muscles a little bit more. Same with the pelvis. If I tell you to imagine that your pelvis is expanding out to the side, that is actually not happening. I mean, maybe slightly you're getting some decompression in the joints in your pelvis when you do that, because you're kicking into gear, the glutes, which are helping to support the pelvis. But with that visual is actually a little bit nonsensical, right? It's certainly not technical, um, but it allows the nervous system to grab onto an action and to pull in the stabilizing muscles and the action muscles together. So that's where it came from. It really came from frustration of trying to teach these things and getting muscles to fire that I needed to get to fire in order to get that, those deep stabilizers awake. And the typical cues I was given actually encouraged those to stay asleep. So when I discovered this sort of visualization, it, it seemed to work for a lot of people. And I will say for some people, they're like, I have no interest in trying to figure out what the heck she's talking about. Like, just give me the nuts and bolts. So I do acknowledge that there are different learning styles here and I try to tend to both of them, but yeah, it can be fascinating when you feel those things kick in and you learn alignment happens in a different way than you were taught. Just the typical shoulders down, chin up, you know, straight back, squeeze your butt, hold a quarter between your cheeks, like things like that, that we were taught don't really work out so well. Well, and I think for myself too, a lot of it is that so many of your cues are about taking up more space, moving yeah. your body apart, getting taller, getting bigger, where so much of what we heard in those, you know, the, the leotard and scrunchy socks videos was very much about, you know, tighten, 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 yes. be less, just take up less space. And so to feel like I'm being prompted to be bigger and yes, just to, to claim more space feels yes. so good. And, and I, sorry, go ahead. As someone whose brain works in those very strange visual ways, it feels very welcoming to be given a strange visual cue from someone whose brain obviously works similarly. <laughs> yeah. And I think what you're dealing with here is comes back to the structural thing we initially talked about, which is your structure, the human body wants to be an extension with flexion as the exception and kind of like a movement we do. But as you were just describing, everybody, all, everybody, I guarantee listening pulls, when you're saying tighten, 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 what do we all do? We get smaller and the smaller position is a rounded forward position. Even if it's subtle, that's the hiding posture that most of us have done our whole life. When you're in that slightly pulled forward position, your nervous system goes, oh, this is a body inflection and not an extension. And if it's not an extension, then it's not going to need the deep stabilizing muscles. So when I tell you to take up space, we're actually working with your structure, you know, the bridge that you are, we're working with that structure and saying, okay, you're actually a body that needs to be an extension. And that means that you need this relationship of these type B muscles and what I call the type A muscles, the action muscles. But if you're pulled forward and you're tightening, 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 you're only recruiting the type A muscles. So you're only recruiting the biceps, the pecs, the quads, right? Cause it's that type, the rectus abdominis, the six pack muscles. And the type B muscles are like, I really am not interested <laughs> in the pace of this class and the focus here. So they just take a nap. Now, the minute you begin to pull yourself into extension and take up more space, you then allow all of those muscles to come into play. And that's why you begin to feel better. And 
what you also described is the feeling of your nervous system beginning to feel better too, because the pulled forward position communicates to you and to the world around you that things aren't safe, that you're under threat. This is what animals in the wild do when they feel under threat, because if you're pulled forward, you're protecting your vital organs. If you were to be hit or something like that, less lethal blow across the back than to the front. So nervous systems always identify a slight, even a subtle flexion to be something having to do with feeling under threat. So when you take up more space, you're communicating to yourself and to the world around you, like, okay, I'm all right. Things might be stressful, but it's not a bear. (laughs) And at the same time, you're working with extension and allowing these type B muscles to come into play more. So a friend of mine who told me I was interviewing a legit uh, celebrity when she found out that we were interviewing (laughs) you. This was even in Canada. You really yes, are yes, a Canadian. Done. So international. Yeah. I'm also in Canada. She's a big fan. So she, I asked if she had any questions and hers was very hard hitting. She wants to know what your comfort food is. Oh my gosh. Potatoes, 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 twice baked it, potatoes, potatoes with butter, potatoes, baked extra crispy, mashed potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. I'll Got put it. mayonnaise on them. I'll put sour cream on them. I don't care. Potatoes. <laughs> there you go. Potato farmers. She's a fan. <laughs> And a question that we ask all of our guests, and this can be either a made up or real category, is what county fair contest could you dominate? So you can make make it up so that you win, or it could be one that you've heard of before that you're pretty sure you could win. County fair contest. Okay, I would not win the ones where you like throw and try to get it in the tiny cup because I would be like, "Mm." I think I would definitely surviving like a pressure cooker. I would win. Like if you just put people in a pressure cooker and see how long they could survive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm picturing it as that spinny ride. You know, the one where you actually like the gravitron. That's not exactly that plus heat. (laughs) I'd survive. (laughs) I just had a real flashback to my 20s moment there. Uh, Wow. Yeah. I once made the mistake of drinking a couple beers and then getting on a Gravitron. And it was a bad, bad idea. Two thumbs down. Bad idea. Two thumbs way down. But at least it wasn't tequila, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Well, that leads us nicely into our next segment, which is Cussing and Discussing. For our listeners, we have recently registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe, where you can leave your cussing and discussing entries for us, and we can play them on the show. So you can go to www.speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo. So Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss today? So... I don't think either of you are here yet in your lives. Mate, Courtney, you're getting close with a 15 year old, but I'm going to cuss teaching your children how to drive because we're, we're here. We're here. And I mean, I'm going to give her credit. She's a farm kid. She's driven tractors. She had, we have a side by side. She, she's actually a pretty decent driver. And yet there's this, you know, you're taking your life in your hands moment moments but you're trying to act chill too right because like especially with teenagers you can't you can't overreact because then they freeze or freak out or you know that doesn't go well either so so there's this like very fine line when you're approaching a stop sign where as you're coming closer you're thinking oh yeah she's gonna stop i'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything and but if you speak too soon and say there's a stop sign then you're gonna hear i know i can see it but if you don't speak soon enough 
then they drive right through it. And then you have to be like, oh, that was a stop sign. So thankfully we live in a rural area and most of our missed stop signs have not been when anyone else was there. But this is my my current stress about learning. Oh my God, I'm starting this <laughs> next week. I'm <laughs> next week. It's, it's very close. So good luck. Oh my God. Do you just like hit the floorboard? Are you like just trying? Are you like, ugh? <laughs> Well, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or sometimes it's like wanting to hit the gas because we're, we're turning, you know, turning left and it's like a little faster. Because... <laughs> but like I said, you can't say too much because then it's like, what? Oh man. Well, my dad taught me to drive and he would, this is in DC and he would take me on like the hardest, scariest streets. This is related to the survival junkie, I believe. And he would fall asleep. <laughs> so he was very chill. Yeah. And then he taught me things like with parallel parking, you hit the front, hit the back, you know, until you get to the middle. And then yeah, also sent me on the New Jersey turnpike. And I thought that your job on the freeway was to basically weave in and out of cars. I thought that was driving. I, I That's a skill. <laughs> that, that's what you were supposed to do until I was like 20. And somebody was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are we racing? <laughs> oh, terrifying. All right, Katie, what are you cussing and discussing this week? Oh, I was going to ask Courtney what she had. Okay, go ahead, Courtney, you're up. Oh, gosh, it might just be, okay, it's having a three-year-old, almost three-year-old, and a 15-year-old at the same time. Like, (laughs) I, the demands, like, the demands of these people, I'm like, there's just so many demands. It's like, and from the three-year-old, it makes sense, right? But she, like, really wants to own her life. They're actually very similar. It's like very similar, sort of like, I do it. I do it kind of thing. But uh, yeah. Until think, they don't want to do it. And then they want you to do it for them. That's right. So I think we very fine line. Very fine line. So for me, it's definitely a great example is like with my 15 year old. It's like the other day I made food with leftovers and I mixed the leftovers like rice and beans and I mix them together because it's rice and beans <laughs> in the fridge. And the next day she's like, why did you put these together? And I'm like, what? And she's like, I want to eat them, but I didn't want them together. And she said the following phrase, she said, could you please not do that next time? And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then I thought this is, this is where parenting when I walked her and I was like, she's very tired. She was up for tennis at five 30. Like the one that you walk away from, like walk away. But yeah, I think it's the, it's the, dem- the demands of life when you're tired, <laughs> busy person. Oof. I can't even imagine. I mean, at least with our two being close in age, like there's twice as much fuckery sometimes, but at least <laughs> it's fuckery about the same stuff because they're not like, I'm not like taking one to sports practice and one to preschool. Like they're, <laughs> they're exactly in the same life. place, but this plays perfectly into my cussing and discussing. Last night I made, you know, everybody says kids are picky eaters. And I was yeah. like, cool. So there'll be like no sushi, no, ch- no curry, whatever, you know, like, my kids, the girl child who is recently five has decided she likes peanut butter and jelly, which she calls brown jelly and red jelly, but not together. And so normally I take one slice of bread and I put peanut butter on it and I fold it in half and I take one slice of bread and I put jelly on it and I fold it in half and that's what she eats. But yesterday she asked for a san- a sanch, mind you, a sanch. <laughs> and she goes but I only want one bread. Okay. 
So I take one bread and I put peanut butter in one corner and red jelly in the other corner. And they're not even touching, let alone mixed, because God knows how that's going to go over. And I fold it in half, but I didn't cut it. And I take it in and she goes, what did you do? <laughs> and I'm like, I made you a sanch, child. Why are they mixed? I said no mixed. This is disgusting. <laughs> you can't scream at me in words that you can't pronounce, child. And like, I'm 40 years old. If one of us is going to know something about how peanut butter and jelly sandwich is made, it's me. It's not you. Just trust me on this. Oh, my God. And last night, I made ribs in the Instant Pot and roasted potatoes and boiled carrots and it was so damn good and neither of my kids ate a single bite of it because it was right? disgusting right mm -hmm. like whoa what is I, that and i think i've said this potatoes. before but i i do feel like there's this like inverse proportional like graph where like the more effort you put in the less likely they are to eat it because <laughs> there's so. something about yeah the better the meal is for the adults, the less likely the little people are going to actually enjoy it. <sighs> and like, so fine, true. if they don't want to eat it, I'll find them something else. That's, that's fine. But don't complain about how gross it is. Right. I mean, did we complain as kids? We ate the food. Like, do you remember? Like <laughs> yeah, but I think we grew up in that generation of like, I'll give you something to cry about, which yeah, probably explains the like, we're going to be in therapy for another 40 years. Yeah, um, exactly. Sorry, mom, if you're listening to this. <laughs> feel bad about that. Kids though, man. Yeah, the food, the food thing, the food. Or like wanting to get Uber Eats. My little one, my 10-year-old loves the Uber Eats until I actually had, I had to call the bank because there was like a situation. Anyway, but she was like, she goes, has your account been hacked? And I'm like, I don't think so. And she's like, it's many multiple charges to Uber Eats. And I'm like, oh yeah, it must have been hacked. I need to definitely look into that. But then I'm looking <laughs> at it and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Those are all legit. So I had to have a sit down with them. And I'm like, you can't order Chick-fil-A on Uber Eats anymore. The single mom is officially going to rise to the occasion and just drive you there. We can't do it yeah. anymore. <laughs> like, oh. <sighs> Crazy. Our son too, I bought... So we have an Iowa-based creamery that makes the best whole chocolate milk. And normally oh. we get the like skim chocolate milk or whatever, because the whole chocolate is like double the price. Yeah. But the other day I thought, you know, mama's feeling good. I just splurge. Get these kids the whole milk. They won't drink it. <laughs> it's gusting. <laughs> Feels weird on my tongue. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm done with you too. Whatever. I whatever. Here's some ramen. <laughs> yeah, here's we, a can we of have the, plain bat, black beans. Yeah. There you go, kid. We have the reverse problem whenever we go on vacation. I try and, like, you know, because we live on a dairy farm, we, we do drink our own unpasteurized whole milk. So mm -hmm. go and try and buy milk from the store, and the kids are like, ugh. <laughs> I can't drink this. So if we're if we're driving distance, we actually have to bring a cooler with like glass bottles of our own milk. But you know, longer trips, they just have to uh, not eat cereal in the morning because they can't do it. Oh wow! I love that you're bootlegging milk, milk around the country. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. Crossing the border with it—that's definitely illegal. Ooh. 
We haven't done that in a while though. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Courtney, for joining us today. We were thrilled that you took the time to talk to us. And where can our listeners find more about Mama Strong, Papa Strong, anything else you want to, to share with them? Great question. No, I'm kidding. Mama Strong, <laughs> mamastrong.com. And that's spelled M-O-M-M-A strong.com. And then Papa Strong is uh, P-A-P-P-A-S-T-R-O-N-G. So papastrong.com. And that's it. And I think we're on social media here and there. You can just search us. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. And we'll add you into all of our uh, socials and uh, show notes and everything. So thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Barnyard Language. You can find us on all the socials, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language. And on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. Join our private Facebook group to hang out with us and other farm families. And we would appreciate it if you would like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. Leaving a review is a great way to help us reach more listeners. You can support the show by becoming a patron on the Barnyard Language Patreon. A small monthly contribution would help us a lot in producing the show. We welcome your submissions for future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest, please get in touch.